0: All right, let's say a word of prayer and get started. Dearest Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you are the one who came showing compassion, even to the leper, Lord, that we are not unclean in your sight any longer because you have made us white as snow through your redeeming blood. We pray, O God, that you'd send your spirit to be with us now to guide and direct our study of your word, enlighten and illuminate our hearts according to your promise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, we are going to be talking about leprosy today, but we also are going to look at um, the short little chapter about birth and um, um, a rite for following, purification following childbirth. So uh, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open up to Leviticus 12. And as you do, I want to start with this um, opening question. Is somebody walking down the street? No. How does your dress affect how you feel or even who you are? How does your dress affect how you feel or even who you are? Open ended question. What difference does your clothing make to you? Oh I thought it was my dress.
1: i to say my kilt, my kilt wants to make me look silly.
0: Yeah, when you wear your kilt, you feel kinda of silly. Yeah, Carla?
1: When I was teaching on sports days the guys had to wear ties. Yes totally different behavior than yeah. the other days of the
0: week. It's a great point. I think this is part of the wisdom of school uniforms, right? Oh. Get those kids in the uniform, you feel, I mean, they can still get into trouble, don't get me wrong, but yeah, good. Other thoughts? How your dress impacts how you feel, how you act? How you... Yeah, it's yourself. a
1: personal expression. Okay, personal so, expression. But also, I know that like, when I was teaching, if I knew I was going to have a really bad day, or it was going to be a full day, I'd make sure I would dress in something
0: that made me feel good. Yeah, good. If you knew you were going to have a bad day, dress in something that makes you feel good. Okay? Swap pants it is. Uh, no, but that's a, that's a great point. Yeah, Tara. I'm required to wear the same nurse, the same outfit every day as being a nurse. Wah wah. Well, I agree. <laughs> but it does give, um, when people see me, they know I'm the nurse. Yes. And so there's no question about who I am mm-hmm. and who I am. Exactly. exactly. Right. When the doctor comes in, they see the doctor, the doctor's uniform, and they know that he's the doctor. Yep. And so the, the clothing reflects the vocation and the identity in that respect. Yeah. Do you
2: feel differently wearing clericals than
0: you do other yeah. stuff? Yeah, yeah. So Carla asked, do I feel differently wearing the, the clerical collar? And totally. And people ask me sometimes, or other pastoral colleagues will, will rib me on this, because I'm the kind of guy that I, I'll wear my collar pretty much any day that I'm, that I'm working. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a couple reasons for that. One is, well, if I'm getting really philosophical, I'll quote Johnny Cash because, um, you know, we need a man in black. Uh, to, uh, if you listen to the words of that song, it's, it's really right on point, song. right? It's a good song. It's a good song. Um, it's but, but practically speaking, yeah, it, it helps me to get in that mindset, and it, it helps with um, being able to connect and convey with people. And there's a concern. I think it's understandable concern among pastors nowadays. Like, oh, doesn't that come with a lot of baggage? Um, when we're in the collar, especially people think you're like a Roman Catholic priest and this sort of thing and I mean there I think there might be some of that but I'll just say in my experience what I have gotten time and time again are strangers grabbing me like hey can you pray for me or once I had this guy, this kid on a skateboard and he's he's, skate, he's a skater kid just looked kind of rough and tumble he runs up to me and I'm like oh <laughs> and he says no wait father can you bless my cross <laughs> <laughs> I said, I said, I'm actually, I'm a Lutheran pastor. I'm not a Catholic priest. He said, brother then.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh,
0: but, uh, and then the, the other reason is, I'm telling you way more than, than you can hear that, But I, I tell guys, pastors, I think, it's not just pastors, but on a lot of vocations, it's a hard time, I'd say medicine too, hard time establishing boundaries. And especially for me, I want to be present for my family and what have you. And maybe the best part about the collar is I can take it off, right? (laughs) And to remember God's called me to this vocation, but it's not the only thing about me. And I I need to be able to take it on, take it off, be be present for my family as well. So anyway. All right. Well, so dress can really have a big big part to play in who we are. And we're going to see in the conversation about leprosy, although that comes with a, a footnote when we call it leprosy that it goes in this even kind of strange direction to talk about dress. And we'll, we'll see some of why that is and what God has to say about it. But before we get there, we're going to go to Leviticus 12. Short little chapter. It's all of, what, eight or nine verses, I think, um, about purification after childbirth. So let me just go ahead and read the, the chapter in full, and then we've got a couple of things we want to say about it. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "...speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. As at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue for thirty-three days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary, until the days of her purifying are completed." But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her menstruation. And she shall continue in the blood of her purifying for sixty-six days. And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tenth of meeting a lamb, a year old, for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. Okay, so there's a lot to say about these few little verses. Uh, the first question that we might ask is, well, wait a second. Birth is a good thing, right? Bringing a new life into the world... So why is it that they need to go through this rite of purification at all? What is it about this whole uh, process and event that renders the, the mother unclean? Why, why would that be? I mean, first of all, this birth rite testifies to the universal need for cleansing. And this underscores what we've been seeing again and again in Leviticus. that uh, the, And birth in particular is acutely and, and uh, so closely connected to our sense of sin and the effects that sin has brought on the world. So think of this in two ways. <clears throat> First of all, go back to Genesis chapter 3. Okay? Why don't we go there? Turn, turn to Genesis chapter 3. It's a familiar text, but it doesn't hurt to, to look at it again. After the fall, which is to say after Adam and Eve, take the fruit, break faith with the Lord then the Lord levels the curse on man and woman and the creation as well as the serpent, on Satan. Um, But so turn to uh, verse 16, chapter 3, verse 16. And here's what God says to the woman. He says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over. So when it comes to the woman's experience of the fall, it is most keenly and acutely felt and experienced when?
2: Childbirth. Childbirth.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Now, Ladies, it's probably hard to imagine or envision the birth of a child without there being pain with it. Mm -hmm. But understand that the pain is not the way that it was originally supposed to be. Um, that, and, and indeed, we also have with um, the blood also, and the, and the flow of blood. Blood being this reminder not only of life, but also of death, and particularly in the ancient world, of course, the uh, birth process was even more perilous and dangerous. Child infant mortality was very high as well as the, the loss of mothers. It was this moment where you were face to face in such a palpable way with both mortality and with the promise of life, right? I mean, it still is, it, it still is. I, and I tell uh, guys and, and couples and so forth, if you're struggling with your prayer life, like get pregnant and then that will help to ramp it up because you just feel <laughs> so vulnerable and helpless. You're like, I'm, I just, all I can do is pray. Um, so this is the first thing I think, is that it's bringing us back so closely to the fall and to sin and so it's this, this reminder of that. <clears throat> but then also more generally, Go to uh, Psalm 51, which also speaks to the need for that purification. Psalm 51 is the the famous prayer of David after his uh, awful sin with Bathsheba. David writes this, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy... Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. So here, uh, David's talking about what we often will call original sin of that sin that has been inherited from Adam and Eve, that's there from the very moment of conception that we are born and created. We have a hereditary sin and predisposition to sin. It's right there from the very beginning. So I think for both of these reasons, this rite of purification is underscoring how there is still this rift between God and his creatures, even while birth itself is a gift and a wondrous thing to be thankful for, as we see that reflected as well. But first and foremost, it also is bringing us to Sin and its effects. So let me pause there as we go back to Leviticus 12. Um, other thoughts or reflections on just the basic idea of this rite of purification and its necessity? Uh, okay, so then the, the second question that is inevitably going to be asked if you were paying attention, did you notice a difference or a distinction that was made in there?
1: The difference between the periods of Cleansing
0: versus a boy and a a girl. Yes. So uh, notice this again. There's a different period of purification depending on if the child is a boy or a girl. Okay, so verse two, she conceives and bears a male child, then it's going to be uh, basically 40 days. Okay, it's going to be 40 days. And if it's a, what's that? Mine's a seven days. Uh, Uh, She shall be unclean seven days days, and then um, the additional 33 days uh, in verse 4. <clears throat> and then if she bears a female child, then she'll be unclean two weeks and then continue in the blood of her purifying for 66 days, 80 days total. So it's twice as long if you have a female child versus if you have a male child. Okay. Why is that? We don't know. Okay. Um, do you think it
1: might have anything to do with the, with the encounter with the serpent?
0: Okay. So say more about that, Andrew.
1: Uh, in other words, that the the serpent um,
0: deceived deceived the woman. Uh-huh. Right. So, um, Andrew's question. This is an interesting thought has, that has been proposed before. That perhaps this is reflecting the fact that going back to creation, once again, that it was Eve that was deceived first, and then Adam. And okay. so, in that respect, um, that, that it's reflected here, where Eve or um, the daughters of Eve, as it were, have a twice as long time of, of purification. Could be. Could be. Doesn't say that. Right. Go ahead, Lily, did you have something? Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, now, um, some people will read or hear about this sort of thing and immediately cry, sexism, right? Oh, this isn't right, that the, the women need to be purified long- well, women are worse than men. Um, but the flip side is actually more likely the case, that the longer time... Um, reflects more of the value that's placed upon the women and the time when they're able to be set apart and also recognizing the great burden and blessing that women bear as the ones who are bringing forth new life into the world. So you should not read this as some kind of easy-peasy sort of sexist kind of thing. If anything, it's probably the opposite. But again, we don't, we don't know that exactly either. Yeah, Chip?
1: Nice try. But what... Um, <laughs> what, what um, what does the
0: uh, what does it mean to be set apart? Like, what did it mean for them to be separate at that point? Are right. They like, like they, they can't touch anybody
1: else, or they're like right. all the women huddled together, like some sort of like pajama party type deal. Yeah. It does say that
0: in, about the pajama party. No, <laughs> uh, but it's something akin, as we'll see, also with Leviticus, to a kind of quarantine period. So it's a time when you're set apart, where they're not to be um, active in the in the life of the church or the the temple, as it were. Um, there's probably this is I think this is where meal trains were originally born, right? <laughs> um, but really, this was this was kind of the idea that you're um, essentially in a, in a time of quarantine, and in this way, we can see how it's a blessing as well as you know uh, it's maybe a challenge. You have to to stay away from the. Um, the life of the fellowship, but also new moms are not necessarily looking to <laughs> get out in the world, and it's God's way of providing. Well, go ahead, Carla. They had the
1: red tent, and each section or tribe had its red tent, and that's where you went for your time of a, yeah. a menstruation. menstruation.
0: Like a spa, basically. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. <laughs> we'll, go, we'll go with that. Um, so I th- I mean I think that we ought to see this as a reflection both of the the effects of the curse in the world, but also of God's provision for the new mother and wanting to, to care for them, and um, even when our kids have been born, you know, the doctor would say, hey, you probably want to, for the most part, stay at home for a few weeks. You know, don't don't go out too much, except to get that baby baptized, um, and and take it pretty pretty easy. Yeah, Pop. Uh,
1: when we lived among the conch and I, I remember one woman very pregnant, nine months she was the wife of one of our lay leaders. Mm -hmm. And I saw her out in the forest I was hiking and she had um, a basket, a strap on her head and a basket on her back, probably with 80 pounds of sweet potatoes. Oh my word. And she had a log on one shoulder and she was racing through the, two days later she gave birth. Wow. (laughs) And then the Kanakai require that she not do anything for thirty days. Yeah, there you go. She's taken care of. she's rests. She nurses her baby. The baby's changed by somebody else. Right. All she does is rest. Just rest. And nurse. Because once she's done, she's at it again.
0: Oh man. So, but first, and up until the time you give birth you better be out there
1: oh i was i wish i'd had a you know yeah in those days you carried camera equipment which i didn't you yeah. know a cell phone would have been perfect yeah I thought, right this is unbelievable yeah God
0: well
2: even in our time not now but like when we were born uh-huh uh women were in bed for 10 days yeah sure they weren't allowed to go outside or anything. you know they were, right you stayed in bed and all you did was take care of that baby
0: right Whereas now, like we had uh, our first three babies at the hospital, and after the day, they're like, get out of here. Yeah. Um, that's why that last one we just decided to have at home. Might as well just stay in bed. Yeah. Um, Can you
1: say any more about the blood? Because blood's a big deal here. Blood is a big
0: deal here. Um, and so the, the blood is going to be, so um, let's see again where does it is. It, it refers to it in verse 4. Um, in the, the blood of her purifying. That's such a remarkable phrase. And how are we to understand that? On the one hand, it's the blood that's making her unclean. This is uh, again and again in Leviticus um, that the touching of blood is what uh, will render somebody unclean because blood is the, the source of life. But I wonder as if it's also um, that flip side of it too. The blood of her purifying, um, you know, this is picked up a rather scandalously, famously, infamously, um, in 2 Timothy, where Paul speaks of the woman, woman being saved through childbirth. Like, well, what in the world does that mean, right? I'm not here to tell you the, the conclusive answer to that question either, because I'm, I'm not quite sure. But I think it has something to do with um, how in that gift of a new life, uh, the blood that is spilled is also the, the blood of purification and a pointing forward to um, the gift of Christ himself, the one whose, whose blood will finally shed and cleanse the, the whole world. Uh, but did you have further, further thoughts on... No. no, no I mean, the, big the big blood is, is part and parcel of, um, of this, this whole thing. It both renders you unclean. It's kind of the paradox of it. both renders you unclean, but it's also ultimately going to be the source of your redemption and your cleansing. Yeah.
1: Well, another thing, too, what... You cut yourself, you don't want to necessarily uh, clean it up right away. You want to let it bleed a little bit so that it doesn't get infected. Then you clean it up and, you know, mm. whatever. Yeah. So blood is, in itself, pure. And, yeah, right. The Inga, Inga men uh, avoided either the blood that might come from menstruation, things, you know, like what women might wear or childbirth, because they believe there's deep magic in the blood of a woman.
0: Interesting. Yes, Becky can confirm. Yeah. <laughs> there is deep magic there. Ah, I, I mean, I think that they, more traditional cultures, I think, grasp these things intuitively. And it's more in our modern world that we've tried to, to, to stomp that out a little bit. Um, I wonder if any of you are familiar with or remember um, a verb called churching. Any of you heard of this remember this? Churching? This, so this is, a, this is an old thing. This is before I think uh, any of us really uh, have been around. Maybe that was practiced regularly. But we have it even in our um, agenda. So it's kind of the, the pastoral companion. Churching, it's not called that in here. It's just called the restoration to the church. But it was this idea. There was a special rite. For the mother, that after she had been uh, apart for the time after the birth, there was a special rite um, for when she was uh, welcomed back into the, the life of the church. And uh, I'm having trouble finding it now, but um, I just think that that's a it's a beautiful thing in its own right, just recognizing you've been that you have been part of a um, something that can be both very traumatic but also very life giving, obviously. And uh, now we're happy to receive you back. See if I can find that later and share it with you guys. But um, we have that within our tradition as well. Um, Let's see. There's so much to say about about this. One other thing, um, just briefly, I wanted to talk about um, how circumcision, which is not the, the burden of this passage, um, but it, it mentions it in, in passing there. On the eighth day, in verse three. On the eighth day, the flesh of the foreskin, of course, for the boys, shall be circumcised. Genesis 17 is the place to look for the um, institution of circumcision. But circumcision really prefigures baptism in so ways, in, in so many ways. I wanted to um, just speak to that uh, briefly, um, so that you have that in, in mind as well. Go to Colossians chapter two. So New Testament, Colossians, after Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Colossians 2, starting with verse 11. In him, that is, in Christ, also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you are also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So here Paul makes explicit this connection between baptism and circumcision. So think about just some of these connections and correlations, a comparison and contrast. So, first of all, circumcision was a promise for children of the covenant. Children of the covenant, so the Israelite children. Whereas now, in baptism, the promise is for covenant children and for others. In Acts chapter 2, this promise is for you and for your children and all for whom the Lord should call, for all who are afar off. So now it's been um, universalized, if you will. Uh, Circumcision was practiced on the eighth day. And baptism, and this is one of the reasons that we would point to the practice of infant baptism as, a, as the fulfillment of that ancient practice of circumcision, uh, customarily happens to infants and not. Of course, we'll baptize adults as well. But this is one of the reasons why um, we'll baptize infants. Uh, circumcision was a sign and a seal. So it was important for their life. It sealed them as members of the covenant. But baptism, we would say, goes one step further as a sacrament, that it actually affects, it, Brings about this new identity as a child of God. Circumcision, of course, was for males only, whereas baptism is for all people. And finally, circumcision performed by human hands, as Paul alludes to here, whereas baptism is performed by the Holy Spirit. Yes, working through human hands, but ultimately that the Spirit is the one who's the real agent of transformation there.
1: Yeah. To circumcision and, and to think about the why of it, you know. It just kind of drops out of nowhere, except that in Genesis 16, Abraham uses his male organ to give, make a child with right. the wrong woman, right. or, or by sight, not by faith. So right. circumcision in 17, then, is God's, I'm marking this, yes. that it must be used by faith alone. Yep. And so every generation after that is always looking to the promise of Messiah. Yeah. So the last person really needing to be circumcised, if you will, was our Savior. Sure. And then baptism flows from him. Yeah, so that's right. It's a perfect continuity. The difference is, like you say, all are baptized into Christ, right. not male or female. Right. Because the male who mattered finally came.
0: That's right. Yeah, that's perfectly put. The male who mattered finally came. That's exactly right. One thing I did learn too that is kind of interesting with respect to the circumcision and 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 then to baptism um, is that circumcision was not unknown among other tribes and peoples in the ancient world, but it didn't happen for infants. It happened for males as they were going into puberty. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that it, it was this sign of now you are becoming a man. So the fact that God institutes it on the eighth day, to me, underscores even more that continuity of baptism being at the, the very youngest days. You know, bring them in right away. So, all right. Um, let's go ahead and look at the, um, I think we, we have to look at the, how this happens for Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, um, where this is fulfilled by the Holy Family. Luke chapter 2. Oh, so, and the gift, once again, is, is a lamb. That's the, the sacrifice that's offered that suggests this total dedication, the life that's fully given. So then we go to Jesus and his presentation and purification so first of all, you could look up at verse twenty-one at the end of eight days. To Bob's point, when Jesus was circumcised, that's when he was given. That was the name day. Also, he was called Jesus, the name by uh, given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. But then verse twenty-two, and when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord: Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So, I mean, this is just freighted with so much significance here. Because what does this tell us? Okay, so they bring a couple of the turtle doves. What's that tell us about the Holy Family? They are they are rich. Rich. They're not rich. They're, they're more <clears throat> impoverished. But then also, in the fullness of time, according to the wisdom of God, where's the lamb? Mary's holding the lamb, right? Mary already is holding the lamb who's born to take away the sins of the world. That's who Jesus is. Now she presents him to, uh, on that, after the 40 days, now the purification, right, and the presentation. Uh, it's, it's a marvelous thing. Now, you may know that this is still a, a feast day in the church year, um, the purification of the Mary and the presentation of the Lord. <laughs> it's the longest name, I think, of any feast day. And when does it occur? 40 days after Christmas. It's on February 2nd. And I've written about this before. And, uh, the kind of the folk name for it became Candlemas. Yeah. Um, because it was when there would be the, the blessing of the candle. Because um, you have Simeon here also with the, the light of the Lord just like we sing the Nunc Dimittis, right? A uh, light uh, for the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. And so it would be um, a celebration of light, and there'd be the blessing of the candles, and it came to be known as Candlemas. I've written about this before uh, in one of my inklings, about the, how the connection with Groundhog Day, it actually goes back to Candlemas. So I won't get into that now. You can go back and... and so, but it's there. It's kind of cool. Anyway, <clears throat> Purification of Mary the presentation of the lord so just wanted to point that to and it's fitting that we're reading the story at this uh time of year right because that's what um it's all pointing to christmas and the events around here all right anything else on uh chapter 12 i already spent more time than i planned to but yeah Yeah, the naming you said it's a naming day the naming day too right so
1: why are they waiting eight days to name Right. Uh, is that because of you know, infant mortality? Did the child oh, survive that survived that? I hadn't long? thought of
0: that. So Hans's question, why are they waiting until the eighth day to name? I think it's, um, if just me riffing kind of theologically, I would think because of that connection with that new creation, and just as, this is still the case, you guys probably experience this. Um, I, I experienced this in, in Thailand. For folks who are coming um, from a different culture or different religion, at the time of your baptism, you're cl- being claimed by the covenant. You would often be given a new name too. You'd change. You would change your name, and so I think it's fitting that they receive their name in connection with receiving that covenant promise. That's what I would think uh, would be the, the reason. As you guys know, especially for um, Jews in the Old Testament, names carried so much more weight. Right. right? It wasn't just, hey, I saw on the Social Security website. This is, you know, this is kind of a neat name. Um, but like, it's it's meant to be more of your destiny and your identity. So. Yeah, Sally.
2: What's the difference between a burnt offering and a sin offering?
0: Mm. You're going to have to go back and listen to our previous. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. <that> was. Okay. <laughs> but, I mean, this is, um, so the, the burnt offering, the sin offering, the sin offerings were especially offered for um, sins of ritual transgressions. Um, it, would, it would have happened here, because, not as a, a, a ritual transgression, but because of that contact with blood. And that was one of the main ones that, that we saw. I think, what is it, chapter 4 or chapter 5? Chapter the burnt offering was your basic, kind of your fundamental voluntary offering. okay Offering up, up to the Lord. And so that was like your, your basic, your daily bread, if you will, when it came to a sacrifice. So it was expected that they would have offered that up um, to make atonement, okay in recognition of, um, of your sin, not... That the, the birth itself was sinful per se, um, but just in recognition for in, inheriting that sin. And as we said, that close connection, that moment, a reminder of the, of the fall. But uh, sorry, I don't mean to to poo, but yeah, that's, that's kind of just in a nutshell. So, All right, well, let's go to chapter 13. We'll start talking about leprosy today, but it really goes into chapter 14 as well. So we'll continue the, the conversation next week also. All right, this is a long chapter. I'm not going to read the whole of the chapter. I want to, um, I'll read the first uh, big section here and then the last part um, because I think these are some of the key moments in this chapter. And then we'll make some more general comments about um, the, the chapter as a whole. All right, Leviticus 13. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, And it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body. Then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priests. And the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of (coughs) leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. But if the spot is white in the skin of his body, appears no deeper than the skin, And the hair in it has not turned white. The priest shall shut up the diseased person for seven days. And the priest shall examine him on the seventh day. And if in his eyes the disease is checked and the disease has not spread in the skin, then the priest shall shut him up for another seven days. And the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day. And if the diseased area has faded and the disease hasn't spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It's only an eruption. And he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the eruption spreads in the skin, after he has shown himself to the priest for his cleansing, he shall appear again before the priest. And the priest shall look, and if the eruption has spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprous disease. All right. And so on. Um, A lot to, to say about this. The most important fundamental thing to point out is that what we know as leprosy today is not exactly what they're talking about. Okay, so the word, um, the, in the Greek translation is the word lepra, uh, which didn't just mean leprosy in the, in the modern sense, but it meant any kind of um, sort of uh, skin issues, scaling sorts of things. Um, perhaps it could be something like a psoriasis, but it, it seems to go much deeper than, than that. Um, the Hebrew word for it is tzara'ath. Let me hear you say tzara'ath. Tzara'ath. Uh, scaly skin diseases, Okay. But as we'll see, it refers not only to the skin, but also to clothing and even to a house. And because apparently whatever this was, it, it, it would infect people, but also it could infect other surfaces and substances as well. And in this way, we see how skin is the clothing of the soul. This is what it, is clothing the soul, if you will. And if it has these scaly skin diseases, Um, It's not only a a physical or a medical issue, but it's also a spiritual one. It's a spiritual issue as well. Because you notice, who is it that he's supposed to go to first and foremost? The priest. uh, The priest is not functioning there as a medical doctor. But the priest is there in order to identify whether or not somebody is clean or unclean, able to gather together with the, the people of God in that way. And so does that mean that he, he isn't also going to see a doctor or get medical care? Not necessarily, but that this is seen first and foremost in a spiritual sort of, of way. Uh, but it's important to recognize that it's not necessarily leprosy as we still think of it today. All right. Yeah, go ahead, man
2: I'm reading on a little bit just to see if I'm missing, but it occurs to me that if you're not supposed to be in certain contact with things that are unclean, but the priest is in contact with things that are unclean. Does he get benched yeah. after he does it? doesn't appear, yes. so I don't yeah. uh, see it where that's happening, so it's, it's interesting that there seems to be some kind of yeah. exemption yeah. for that.
1: Plexiglass between the, yeah. wow. the stores. have seen that in the store. They're all hands-on, right? I mean. but, but it doesn't, it
2: doesn't really uh, say uh, that no. they're hands-on.
1: It I, says, I, well, I, I that, you know, here, I've like, got this spot. Right. Uh, I think know, the that priest really does, does have to go through the ceremonial cleansing part of being in contact with someone. Right. I believe.
0: Yeah, uh, my my impression, I mean, that's that's a really fascinating point that you that you brought up, Matt. I would think that he would still be as you say kind of benched for for a little bit. Yeah. Um but uh but it doesn't it doesn't say that here.
2: Well, it makes me wonder if some of the other routine things that they do as priests right. would make that acceptable or you know, yeah. allow them to carry on. Right? right.
0: Well, because, and we'll see, especially with chapter 14, um, what you might call pastoral care is really essential to the, the life of, especially for the leper, because who are, well, this is fast forwarding a little bit. Um, so let's go ahead to the end of the chapter or toward the end of the chapter, verse 45, and this is maybe the most infamous, notorious part about the, the lepers. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Whoa. So, uh, if... What this tells us is, if you're a leper, you're by yourself, right? You're a dead man. You're you're a dead man in many ways. I mean, in, in that time and place, um, you are uh, separated, cut off from the from the life of the community. How are you making money? How are you providing for yourself? It would have had to have existed solely from the mercy of others, and that was part of the the calling of the pastoral care of the priest going out to to um, visit the leper, and hopefully others are as well. But That isolation from the life of the community. This is why I I think it's. I mean, historically and even within the Scriptures, leprosy. um, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Leprosy is this potent figure of sin and sin's effects, right? Um, This is hinted at within within the New Testament, but I think it's very clear to see how leprosy um, and why there's so much time spent with this particular uh, disease becomes this figure or picture of what sin does sin deadens us right within and it also separates us from God and from others because if you are uh, somebody who's who's uh, afflicted with this you not only are you separated from the life of the the community generally where are you Where else are you not going to you're not going to the tabernacle or the temple right Right. you're not being able to, to go and to offer up your sacrifices you're not able to um, know the atonement, the forgiveness of your, of your sins. Um, all of this...
1: Well, you can't even you know, be with your family. You can't even be with friends. your family, right? You
0: know, you're, you, you're, you've got to conduct yourself like a person in mourning. You've got the, the hair down. You're protecting yourself from other people, from your impurity,
1: uh, and you're living alone outside of the camp. That one about person in mourning is key. Yeah. You are mourning your own death. So yeah. you are always death walking. You are a
0: dead man walking. That's exactly right. You're mourning your own death. And the fact that leprosy just becomes this this clear, awful picture of death walking around. I mean, this is essentially what it is. It's, it's like a rotting corpse right before us. Yeah, man. Well, I was just,
2: when, I, I don't know if I'm too far ahead here, but we are talking about how much hands-on. They are here, and, yeah. and in 15, you know, there's actually a process where he is taking yes. oil yeah. on his fingers, then touching the the ear of yes. yep. the man, yeah, yeah, And then I don't know exactly whose right thumb—it's not clear. It says, you know, oh. cleanse on the thumb of his right hand yep. and on the big toe of his right foot. I, yep. I don't know who's So we'll
0: have a lot more to say about that okay. next week. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, in that it respect, is it is—it is hands on. Yeah. 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 Go ahead, Hans.
1: Uh, It says, live alone outside the camp. That probably wasn't true. There's probably other lepers. Okay, sure. I mean, yeah. They they, they talk about the ten lepers, or whatever. Yeah, that's a good point. So
0: they 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 form their own
1: kind of community there. they alone is a (coughs) family family and community. Right. Yeah. Back back to the the end, if the priest, there's different times like when they carry the... burn sacrifice outside the camp, Yes. don't they have to wash their clothes and be unclean yeah. until the evening? Right. Yes. So maybe something like that. Yeah, Just it was, it was kind too. of a, root, a routine. Yeah, I'm unclean while I did this, but I have a ritual whereby I cleanse yeah. myself. Yeah, yeah. That's the, distinct for priests.
0: That's exactly right. Yeah, Carla.
1: But well, two things. The, ch- the children that are born are usually not leprous. They're clean, and they need to be separated from the parent. Right. You know, that's one thing. When we lived in Nigeria, leprous people were put on an island in the middle of the river, and then when the spring floods came, that took care of the leprosy. I mean, oh, my goodness. Oh. So it was very, very, talk about isolation, you know, they were just put on this island. And oh,
0: they wow. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this throughout the ages, there. Um, there's the famous story of a, a guy named Father Damien who um Went to because there was a leprous colony in Hawaii. I forget which of the, the islands, but um, Father Damien was this missionary priest who went to the lepers, wanted to follow in the footsteps of, of Jesus, and was very hands-on. And ends up, you know, contracting leprosy himself and dying among among the people out there. And I guess to this day, his his grave is out there on this former uh, leper colony. So it's awful how it the, it has that alienation and this history of ways that those people have been essentially dehumanized. Yeah, Becky.
1: Was healing expected with leprosy? There seems to be this, well, try this, then try this, yeah, we'll yeah. try this. And I feel like we're veering toward uh, a Christian scientist foothold where, well, I'll keep coming to the priest and maybe he can yeah. check you out. Is there yeah, was so a lost cause or was there hope for treatment?
0: Right. So once again, this is um, it's confusing because it's not leprosy as as we understand it indeed as the leper leper colonies in hawaii or in nigeria um, whatever this scaly skin disease was that they had it it was something that you would heal from and recover from yeah yes so um so there was that understanding and expectation so you're not seems going to, be. to the priest to show your faith and you keep trying what the priest does because no right
1: you're doing it that way right
0: okay. no i yeah i think that's a, a, important um, okay, so let me back up just a, a little bit. I got ahead of myself. So you notice there's these diagnostic steps that follow. This is throughout the chapter, and if you want, you can go in a lot, a lot deeper on your own and, and read more about this. But there would always be these five steps of the statement of the symptoms, examination by the priest, identification of the symptoms, and then the certification of disease with a declaration of ritual status to conclude. It's pretty straightforward and follows along with each of them, and it's pretty predictable. There's one spot, however, where it's surprising and unexpected. I do want to draw your attention to this one because, yeah, it's fascinating. I think it underscores the larger theological import of this whole thing. Um, All right, so look ahead to um, verse 12, chapter 13, verse 12. So and it says, and if the leprous disease breaks out in the skin so that the leprous disease covers all the skin of the diseased person from head to foot, so far as the priest can see. Then the priest shall look, and if the leprous disease has covered all his body, he shall pronounce him clean of the disease. It's all turned white and he is clean. So, wait a second. Let's get this straight. If you've got a spot of some of the scaly skin disease, you're unclean and you're out of the camp. But if... You are so overwhelmed by this disease that it has taken over your entire body. Then the priest says, looks good. <laughs> what could this possibly be suggesting? Why would there be this unexpected distinction suddenly made here in the, in the middle of it? Well, it has no
1: more place to spread. It's all over Okay, it's got no, no replacement no, no, spread. No, just to you, it's, you know, if you're quarantined. I mean, what's that? You'd think you'd think if it's a little spot, the chance of me giving it to somebody else is less than if yeah I'm covered head to foot. No and yeah. the whole reason for being quarantined is not to spread not to spread, the not
0: to spread it, right? So. Okay, so here's here's the interpretation that um, that commentators will offer, and this. Kind of rings true with me when we look at this um, in a larger kind of theological context, where again the uh, why God looks at this skin disease and treats it so seriously is not only because of the physical ramifications and the way that it can spread to others, but because the way that it is a picture of death and impurity and uncleanness. Okay, that this is someone is not the way that things are supposed to be. God's will for us is that we would be wholly pure. I think I have that on here. Yeah, we're created to be wholly pure, wholly pure. This is why th- this uh, scaly skin disease then is such a, uh, an affront and runs a contradiction to God's intention. But when somebody now gets to the point where they are covered with the leprosy so that it's their whole body, now it's almost flipped in that they, are, they have that, that continuity where it's their whole body is white and in that respect becomes almost a figure of that purity that God has created them for. Now this is suggestive, it doesn't say this, but um, uh, many others have given that interpretation and it rings true to me when we look at this through a theological lens. Like God's ultimate desire is that we would be pure, white as snow, cleansed, made holy and pure. And so insofar as the, the leper's person is wholly covered, they don't have that, that mixture anymore. I don't know. Take that for what it's worth, but I don't have to find a better uh, explanation for why it would seem to be this would be the most dangerous person of all. But instead, suddenly they're like, nope, they're good. I'm sure everybody else was still like, okay, priest said so, but I'm just going to sit over here. Glad to have you back, Tom. <laughs> But any other reflections or or thoughts about that? Yes, Sally. I can't
2: imagine that anybody covered would live.
0: Wow. Would even live? Maybe, and maybe that's part of it. it That's a that's an interesting point, Sally. So Sally says you wonder if somebody who is in that dire of a straits if they even lived, and maybe that's part of it. Is it's clear this person is not long for the world, and so we're not going to let them um, die in ignominy and, and by themselves. One last opportunity. I don't know, but that's an interesting thought.
2: Because the skin is an organ and and it functions. Yes. If it's all covered with
0: disease, you can't function. If it dies, it dies. Yes, yeah, that's right. Uh, Came across this quote from early church father Tertullian commenting on this as well. He says, thus he wished us to understand that the man who has changed from his formal carnal state to the whiteness of faith, which the world considers a blemish and a stain, and who is completely (laughs) renewed is clean. He's no longer spotted, no longer modeled with both the old and the new. So this is how Tertullian takes it, as he takes it as a figure of that new creation, that you're no longer spotted and modeled modeled, um, with sin, but instead this person has, so to speak, gone through a a full anti-purification, as it were. So, yeah.
1: Uh, Miriam. Yes, yeah. Uh, when uh, there was the disagreement yeah, the, and boom.
0: Yep, so this is another, uh, Hans brings up Miriam. This happens to, to Miriam and, um, and to others as well. And so there is a suggestion that part of the reason why this was <clears throat> viewed uh, so severely was because it was associated with a kind of direct divine curse. Right. That if you are uh, afflicted with this scaly skin disease, that you have somehow run afoul from the Almighty. And
1: well, he's kind of poking at her anyway. She she complained that Moses' wife was black. Right, yeah. Dark. yeah. So the Lord says, you like white? Let's do it, girl. Yeah, that's... Yeah, that's That's right.
0: Ain't nobody got time for that? <laughs> All right. Um, I think that's enough for today. So well, the next one. <laughs> Next next week, um, so chapter 13 is kind of a wah-wah, but chapter 14 really gets into the purification, and we'll talk more about Jesus and his encounter with lepers because in many ways it gets to the real heart of our Lord's uh, ministry and mission of mercy. So we'll look forward to seeing you then. Thanks very much.